every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Well, hello there. Welcome to this week's episode of the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Lorn, and what a week it's been in motor racing once again. Today, we'll be running through all the big news in supercars, as well as chatting Formula One, S5000, Bathurst 6-Hour, NASCAR, and a bit of MotoGP as well. And to help me do it all is V8 Sleuth's book writing guru, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how the bloody hell are you? Pretty good. That uh, rundown's given me an ice cream headache already, so... Uh plenty going on let's get into it it just it just doesn't stop at the moment it's just i don't know if it's this time of year or just the fact that we have to actually sit down and talk about it every week now there's just there's just a lot happening we're being tested by the podcasting gods straight out of the blocks anyway uh yeah, I guess the headline this week is uh, is the Gen 3 reveal. We've finally seen some Gen 3 cars. I don't know. It, it kind of feels weird in terms of how representative it is because I believe all of that sort of – all that stuff that Mark Larkham uh, put together for this Gen 3 Unpacked, I think it's called, that was, that was kind of all done together. So it certainly wasn't like those cars were – um, filmed like that this week. And the fact that we now know that the Mustang has been out at Queensland Raceway and cut some laps means it definitely didn't happen in the last sort of couple of days because they weren't sort of uh, complete cars. But look, it's still significant to have had a good look at these cars. Stefan, what's your first impression of the Camaro and the Mustang based on that video that Supercars released? Yeah, well, it's it's sort of hard to know whether to call it a reveal or not, right? It has been a bit unusual mm. that our first sort of look at the cars was through that video that Larco had done when they're sort of partially built, partially undressed. It's not the sort of clean launch that we normally sort of expect. Like I'm I'm all for them pushing out this content and, you know, the more that they show us, the better, but it's certainly not what they sort of normally like to do. And then it was even more bizarre that the very next day we found out that the Mustang was on track at QR. So I think um, – from what we what we saw there, I mean, the headline probably was that the Mustang roofline looks like a Mustang roofline, so that's uh, definitely <laughs> yeah. promising. Um, it's sort of hard to tell they didn't they weren't finished, didn't have aero bits and pieces on them. Uh, the Mustang sort of looked very road car-y, 
um, yeah. in the picks. But I'm sure once it's in full race trim, it'll it'll look like a supercar. I'm sure it will, but it really does look like a road car. I mean, I know they want a lot of uh, the Adrian Burgess has used the term road car DNA a few times. It's obviously what they want, but can they look too much like road cars? Like that that Mustang looks like it's been prepped for the Bathurst six hour. Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, it's definitely necessary to bring it back more to a road car than what we've seen with the with the Gen two Mustang. So I think it's it's all positive on that front. But as I say, like we've just got to wait to see it in its full form. I guess like it was particularly strange to see supercars put out that story about the fact it tested at QR, but then the picture, like at a quick glance, it looked like it had ripped the right front corner off until you realised that that was the in-build <laughs> photo that we'd seen the day before. And then there was like, it's quite interesting that the supercars tech guys had to sort of do this remotely because they're stuck in Sydney with these events on that the test happened at Queensland Raceway and they did have some of their stuff at the circuit. But then the narrative that Supercars put out was a lot about the fact that Adrian Burgess, the head of motorsport, and those guys were doing this remotely via computer. And they put out these these screenshots of like the telemetry, but then there was also like Zoom calls going on. So you could see the picture of the engine builder and like some silhouette of a bloke in front of a white curtain that looked like it was from The Godfather. I'm not quite sure what all that was about, <laughs> but yeah, it certainly gives us something to talk about, but it's been a little, uh, little unusual. It is unusual. I mean, if you think back to uh, when the Gen 2 Mustang rolled out, you know, the first day that hit the track, there was a photo. I mean, I thought the photo was an April Fool's joke <laughs> because the car looked that on first. I'll never forget looking at that car for the first time. I guess our eyes have sort of been trained to just see it as somewhat normal now. But um, but it does it does remind me, and I, I hope I'm allowed to tell this story of a very funny conversation we had with uh, Dr. Ryan Story at the DJR launch that year, where. He said, you know, what's the old saying? There's no ugly cars in victory lane. And you said, I guess we'll find out in Adelaide, which was um, gave us all some good lols. Yeah, uh, we, we pretty much found out at every racetrack we went to for the next six months as well. So I guess uh, he won that one. But particularly ones with uh, high-speed corners mm. anyway. that was uh, They certainly went all right around those. But, yeah, look, it was – Kind of a strange, just kind of a strange rollout, I guess. I, I want to see the car now. Now I know it's done laps. I, I want to see it, and I kind of, I understand the challenges of border closures and this and that. And it's not, there's nothing normal about this rollout. I would say that if you know, if Alex Davo had gone out and torn a corner out of the thing, that would almost be fitting of this kind of start stop weird rollout of this Gen Three thing so far. <laughs> Absolutely no, I didn't mean that as any sort of bump on on Alex Davo. We'll get onto people burning the Davisons a bit later in this pod, but uh, that, that definitely wasn't meant like that. But, yeah, it's the whole thing's been a little strange, I guess. Yeah, but all, all that aside, it's a big moment, that the fact the car ran yesterday. It's a it's an all-new chassis, so an all-new platform, and a new motor, the 5.4-litre Coyote, and, of course, Triple um, Eight and KRE have run the new Chevy engine in a TA2 test mule where DJR didn't go that way. They did bench testing and then... It's now run on the track, so big project. I also understand this car actually ran the paddle shift, where originally we were expecting that they would run the paddles in the Camaro and the Mm -hmm. stick in the Mustang just to test both out. But um, I think that the plan still is to run the stick in the Mustang during this test program because obviously they've got a longer longer timeline on this than they were going to have when it was going to be mid-2022 introduction. Um, It's still it's the assisted shift. So I think there was a fair bit of work to, to do with that. Yeah. Well, anyone who knows anything about me, which is admittedly not that many people, but would know that I'm anti-paddles. 
I'm a, I'm a stick shift man all the way. And my understanding was, particularly around this time of the sale, that a lot of air was coming out of the paddle shift movement. But um, I guess we will wait and nice see. Nice pneumatic joke there. That's, well, kind of, kind of. Good pickup. Uh, but it's like we, we were talking about Larko uh, presenting those videos. And uh, it, it still spins me out that he was fired at the end of last year and now he's the, uh, presenting the future of the sport. Um, and, and Supercars said when they brought him back that it was largely because of the fan reaction. So if you don't like paddle shift, don't stop bombarding the Supercars social media accounts with your opinions because it, it can yep. change things. There you go. I'll keep doing it, but uh, everyone else has to uh, has to help out as well. Where do you stand, Stefan? What's your paddle? You're not getting away with this. Just parked on the fence here. What's your uh, what's your take? Oh, I think it's pretty clear from anybody watching that you would much rather see the, the not only the theatre of the stick shift, but the skill as well. Um, the only argument going the other way really feels like a, a cost argument. Um, yeah, but th- the fact it's going to be assisted shift either way, which probably makes it, well, it makes it auto blip sort of makes keeping the stick a little bit of a lip service. You know, it's not mm-hmm. the same mechanical skill that you had before. So I'd still like to see them run the stick, but, uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. We definitely will. Let's have a bit of a chat about uh, what happened in Sydney last weekend. Stefan, what caught your eye in the uh, in the Harbour City, my friend? Well, it was another one, obviously, that neither of us were at because of where uh, mm-hmm. where the COVID situation is. And I guess watching watching on TV for most of it, if you weren't following the sport closely, you may not have noticed that. Well, there was obviously a lot to look at, but David Reynolds wasn't there, and it wasn't really mentioned too much. He obviously, we know that he he missed the weekend and will miss the next two because of New South Wales health ruling his vaccine exemption was not valid. You've uh, been right across this story from the start. Where is it at and why has it gone quiet? Yeah, it's an odd one. I mean, it was sort of touched on very briefly at the top of the telecast on Saturday, well, Saturday morning for me in Perth, Saturday afternoon for the East Coast. Um, And even then it was this very, I don't know how to put this, interesting version of events that he kind of had this temporary permit and New South Wales Health just hadn't got around to taking a proper look at it yet. So they let him in to do one race and then decided that he couldn't do any more. That's a very sanitised version of events. It's a very supercars-friendly version of events. There was, a, there was a sort of similar story that rolled out in the News Corp papers last week. And, you know, News Corp's reporting relies heavily on what they get out of supercars. Supercars has a lot of uh, – a big hand in, in how that reporting is presented. That's just a fact. Um you know, so it kind of feels like there is a bit of sweeping under the carpet going on. To revisit a point you made last week, and with the sort of, you know, we talked about, you know, had supercars passed the test of handling this, and I still think the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to continue without the correct exemption or vaccination coverage in place was, a, was you know, the, the end result was the right move because other sports are going to face that. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I feel like, how did the team in supercars not know more about this? And how did they not do more about it, you know? Was the medical delegate, Dr. Carl, was he consulted about this? I mean, he's been on the front line on COVID stuff. Surely he would have had some insight into whether this was going to fly or not. You know, there was months to prepare. We were on break for months. Um, so, you know, it sort of feels like the the more you look at it, you know, the category just, just should have been better prepared. I, I really feel that's the case, you know? So... I guess maybe that explains why there is a bit of 
under the carpet sweeping going on? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, from a category point of view, I can understand why they would pretty much want it to go away. And for better or worse, the fact that Supercars is pretty much invisible to the mainstream media for the most part is sort of, that's bad. But the advantage of it is that when there is a massive storm, you can sort of walk around and not get wet. So that's the the Supercar side. I'm not surprised that it didn't get much of a run in the coverage. Um, it, it's tricky, as we sort of went into last week, that it is a private medical matter at its heart. But I am kind of surprised there hasn't been a bit more from Dave put out there sort of explaining because that's where all the, the questions are kind of how did it get to that point and there might be a perfectly mm-hmm. good explanation for it. So I wouldn't yeah. really say he yep. like owes it to everybody to come out and explain more detail and put meat on the bone, but there's kind of just that that cloud, that black mark there that you would sort of like to see that cleared up. Yeah, yep. No, and, and if he has the opportunity to do that, why – why wouldn't you do that? I guess, I don't know, I kind of look at it from a, like you know, you mentioned the fact that Supercars doesn't necessarily end up on the back page of the paper all that often. Like maybe this was the chance to change that. Maybe, a, a, you know, go for a riskier strategy in terms of trying to get in the limelight and, and, and lean into the skid a little bit. I mean, if there's one thing we've learned from the NRL over the years is that there's like any publicity is good publicity because they go through the ringer and still – and it's still, you know, a massively popular sport, our second most popular sport in the country. Um, like, if this was footy or NRL, AFL or NRL, they wouldn't have had a choice, you know? I mean, is it concerning that it didn't make a bigger splash? It is and it isn't, I guess, but um, I guess it's not finished yet either. And what people really want to know now is, is he going to race at Bathurst? What's your sort of intel or read on that? Mm. Look, I still think the fact that, you know, what they've done in terms of their of their replacement driver. So Luke Yulden's back in the car this weekend. Um, did a fantastic job last weekend. I think we sort of talked about how the rain might help him a little bit because getting the best out of a green was gonna be uh was gonna be an issue for him. And it was. He sort of qualified right at the back on Saturday. Um and then suddenly when the rain came along, you know, massively experienced bloke and he's midfield or even better than midfield. So fantastic uh performance um from from Luke. Uh, there, but yeah, look, I think the fact that they're, they're going with him suggests that they want him back in the car. There's been some comments from Stephen Grove uh, this morning suggesting that that is still Plan A to have him back in the car. I guess it does depend on some level what New South Wales Health decides to do. If there is more to this story in terms of the way he entered the state in the first place, then there's potential complications there. He will need to be double vaccinated. We know now Supercars was was uh, certainly getting in touch with suppliers earlier this week and saying, hey, you know, it, it, double vaccination will absolutely be a requirement for the Bathurst 1000 campsites, wherever you need to go, whatever. Um, so uh, as long as he gets his vaccination coverage and there's no further complications, I still feel like they probably will put him back in the car. There's been some really interesting names bandied about on the rumour mill if he doesn't make it. Um, Jackson Evans was one of them. I don't think he can get back to Australia, but I believe there was maybe a little contact made there. But I still, it it does feel like plan A would still be to have um, Dave in the car. And if you look at how well Luke's going, you know, it's not a bad little little pairing there. You know, like he's... Luke's just showing. For a bloke that retired, what, a couple of years ago after a really difficult enduro campaign... Still knows how to drive a race car. No, were you surprised by how well he went? 
Uh, yeah, to be honest. I mean, probably his dry pace like on the Saturday was about where you'd expect. There was no shame in being down yeah. the back. It's just very, very difficult uh, to jump in uh, cold like that. But, um, yeah, in the wet, he clearly – those cars are pretty good in the wet seemingly, but he did a great job. And I think um, he made a really bad start in that Sunday night wet race, but he still ended up finishing 11th, which I think is very qualified. So, um, clearly, he, he raced really well. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable. Absolutely. Let's uh, chat about some of the other stuff. Hey, Will Brown, that quality effort, like like this bloke, he has the potential to be good news for supercars, right? It's just so hard not to like the guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that Erebus have been up there has been been great. It's added some extra energy into these uh, Sydney Sydney races. And as yeah, as you say, he's he's a great character for the sport. He's to be honest, he's he's a cartoon character, isn't he? Like he's this ultra yeah. upbeat <laughs> car salesman from the country, big smile, rosy red cheeks, flies a plane, races cars. Like it's it's all good stuff. It's all there, um, and it's it's genuine too. I feel like what you see on the TV is is his personality um, in, in reality. So um, having young guys like like Will and Brody also in the Erebus garage coming through right now, just as your greatest of all time, Jamie Winkup is is leaving. It's it's a really good, healthy thing for the sport to have these young kids coming through that are quick, but also show a bit out of the car that they're going to be good representatives of supercars, basically. I have a bit of an unpopular opinion that I don't think he was going to win that Saturday night race, even if they didn't have that wheel nut drama. I feel like uh, Jamie was sort of playing coverage there for Shane. And that if you look at how far down the road Shane kind of got from Jamie, even if him, if Jamie, you know, Will might have been ahead of Jamie, but I just think Shane was on the absolute best strategy. Uh, and once again, you just see the benefit of of basically having um, having two cars at the front there. How mellow was Barry Ryan after that uh, after that wheel nut issue in the pit stop? It was funny. Social media just lit up with people going, "Get the TV camera on Barry, go get him right now." And he kind of went, oh yeah, well, look, these things happen, and we'll uh, we'll do a bit of uh, pit stop practice tonight. I guess I did have uh, visions of like the Erebus crew like running up and down the stairs at the uh, at the <laughs> the Sydney Motorsport Park grandstand until three o'clock in the morning or something like that. Do you think he was just as mellow behind closed doors, Stefan? Oh, it's hard to say without being there, isn't it? I mean, uh, I'm sure he wasn't rubbing their toes and tickling their tummies afterwards because they did. Uh, <laughs> cost themselves a, another big result but um it, it looks like it's definitely a lot more positive environment down there this year than it was last year that period on the road for them really uh tugged at the fabric of that team and obviously there was a lot of departures at the end of last year but look they've got fast cars and they've got kids that want to be there it's yeah it looks like they're in a pretty good place yeah, I think the I think the whole you know the the people leaving the team, particularly what sort of went down with, with Dave Reynolds and and how that kind of reached a fairly unpleasant end, sort of did galvanise the team. You know, I think uh, I think Barry sort of sat back and went, oh, you know, the guys that have stuck with us, this is a pretty special core group of people, um, and that has 
kind of played into to a shift in attitude um, there. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was funny, actually, you and I were talking earlier in the day and, you know, Anton was having his issues and obviously Dave wasn't even there. And I said, wow, look, it's all coming up. Barry, you know, Will's on pole. It's all coming up. Barry Ryan here, the guys that deserted him in nowhere. And here's his kid on pole. And then um, by fairly early in that race, you sort of went, yeah, no, I don't think you, you, your joke didn't hold up too well there. I went, yeah, no, fair enough. So do you think they're going to win one of these races before they leave SMP? Uh, it's still hard. Like, it's still hard to win because you've got, you know, if Anton has a clean, like, look at this weekend, and we'll get onto this later, but if Anton has a clean weekend, he's going to be hard to touch pace-wise. Um, and if he doesn't win, when he has issues, Shane just finds a way. And like I say, I think the other night, Shane was going to find a way, even if we had a trouble-free race, he might have finished 14 seconds down the road rather than 17 seconds down the road behind Shane. But they just... They just had the flex, Triple A just had the flexibility to stick Jamie in, make Erebus jump to cover him, and then let Shane just chug around on the right strategy and come out way ahead. So, what do you reckon? Do you reckon he's, he's oh. got one in it? Like, could happen, but it's still hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't argue against any of that. I think the only point to make about that Saturday night race is that, yes, I agree strategically. I think they're outdone there, regardless of how the pit stop went down, but you've got to give credit to Will Brown that he had the pressure of qualifying on pole and starting on pole for the first time and he nailed the start, he nailed the first lap, nailed those opening laps, like he ticked all the boxes from a driver point of view. So full credit to him for that. Yep, yep, hard agree there. Hey, there were some fireworks after the uh, finish on Saturday night, not just the ones like down the main straight as sort of the winner goes across the line, but a bit of argy-bargy on track and off track between uh, Will Davo and Shane Van Gisberg. And let's start with the niggle in the race. Have you got any issue with Giz running Davo a little wide at turn one on the first lap there? No, I don't think so. Like it's it's turn one, it's a high-speed corner and they're trying to go through there side by side. I think it's just it's just racing, and I, I don't reckon Will Davo could have felt when he really looked at it objectively uh, too hard done by. It was unfortunate that the previous week he'd been bumped off, actually gets it to turn three, I think, by Will Brown on an opening lap, and he referenced um, after that race last Saturday the fact that uh, Shane had given him a touch up in practice, which I don't think we saw on the TV. So, um, yeah, it looked like there was an accumulation of events that had sort of resulted in that frustration. But the the incident itself, there wasn't much in it, I don't think. No, I think, yeah, being a fast corner, you sort of, when you hang it on for dear life to some extent anyway, there needs to be a little bit of leeway. Um, Being on the outside, there's a tough gig at the very best of times. Um, Davo gave it a bit of, yeah, I don't know what Shane's got against me on the telly afterwards. And then in the press conference a bit later, uh, Giz hit back with a uh, with a little gem. Let's have a listen. Yeah, it, it was good just to be competitive. Um, I guess the good DJR car wasn't up front, so we don't know if we're really that fast. But, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Has me off at once, you know what I mean. <laughs> but it's actually a compliment. <laughs> kind a of a compliment. compliment. Yeah. yeah, but you, you know what I mean. It's um, we'll we'll see how fast we are tomorrow because he'll be up front. Uh, Stefan, I love it. I, uh, I SVG knows his way around a burn. He sort of has this awkward, sort of bumbling way of speaking, but he knows he knows what he's saying, and and I and I love. Jamie being the massive, like the, the complete diplomat team owner already saying, you know, oh, it was actually a uh, a compliment. That sounds like something straight out of the Dado playbook, I reckon. <laughs> what do you think? 
Well, yeah, awkward one for Jamie because he's teammates with Shane. He's sort of going to be team boss, but then also Will's like his lifelong best mate, Will yeah. <laughs> Davo. So <laughs> he had a lot of conflicts going on there. So, so do you think it was a sledge on Davo personally or on DJR? Uh, I... I don't know. I, I heard our friend Aaron Noonan on his podcast earlier this week saying that, you know, maybe Giz was talking about the fact there is a good DJR car and there's a bad DJR car and it's not necessarily about who's driving them. It feels like a bit of a stretch to me, given the fact that that Will had sort of come out and said something. That that feels like that feels like a stretch to me. I I I personally think he was talking about talking about the guy driving it. I mean, I know there have certainly been issues with good DJR cars and bad DJR cars. Uh, in the past, we've heard Fabian make a couple of little social media quips along those lines uh, recently, but I, I I don't know for sure. I don't know if anyone knows what goes on in Giz's head. What do you reckon? Well, I think it's a pretty feels like a pretty safe view to uh, agree with Aaron rather than yourself. But I think for sure this is a continuation of the uh, you know one car team thing that Triple Eight were talking about with DJR last year. And when you think about it as a if you want to risk overanalyzing it as a psychological game, like Shane just insinuating that Davo can't drive is just meaningless. But getting in someone's head about the fact that your car isn't as good as your teammate's car, I reckon that mm. does actually do some snowballing damage. And I mean, clearly within Triple Eight, they view it as Ludo's car is the car that DJR want to win. It's the Ludo car and the other car. And so everyone's got to remember that while DJR gave Will Davison number 17, aside from Richard Harris, um, his race engineer, um, Anton De Pasquale has got McLaughlin's crew and he's got Ludo. So that is still the the chosen car as Triple Eight would want you to believe. So I think the team, DJR would give them equal opportunity, but I also can see that this is a bit more than just a sledge on a driver. I think it's the ongoing um, sort of dialogue about the, the one-car team philosophy that uh, grew last year. All right. All right, you've convinced me. I'll go. I, I, I believe you. That was a compelling argument. I will give you that. I <laughs> I like it. And I could say you're, you're right, that is a – that's a that's a that's a heck of a, a blow to land. Your car is not very good. Doesn't matter what you do, <laughs> you ain't gonna go all that fast. It's it's sort of like the it's it's sort of like the thing where you give a driver a new car and it's the same spec as the old one, but he thinks it's better. It's like it is a psychological game to a certain extent. So I think uh, yeah, the triple eight guys probably see an opportunity there with Davo, because I mean he is their closest rival in the points. Like, take the narrative of one-car team, two-car team out of it. He's, he's done a great job this year, Dave. So, um, yeah, they're having a bit of fun with him there. All right. No, no, you got me. You got me. The, the, the listen to that audio weirdly makes me miss press conferences, and that is something that I never thought I would say. Pre-pandemic, I would never, ever thought. By the end of 2019, when I was coming off the back of I did five race weekends in a row, like consecutively. At no point would I, I thought at that point I might go, geez, I miss press conferences, but – haven't been on the sidelines a little bit, you know. I do. Don't don't let I the do. drivers think that we don't love the press conferences because they hate them. So if they get any <laughs> uh, indication that you don't like them, then we might not have them at all. We need them. They're a necessary uh, a necessary evil, but they're they're not even evil. You just you do a lot of them. We do a lot of them. That's that's what we do. Uh, <clears throat> let's go back to um, let's go back to front a bit on the Sunday and just talk about that. Uh, 
that third race, that Sunday night race, uh, wet racing under lights. Is that a yes or a no from you, Stefano? Well, it's pretty good on the couch, isn't it? Like we sort of talked about last weekend, the under lights with what they've done there at Sydney Motorsport Park, like it looks spectacular. The cars look great. It just feels a little bit more exciting, in my view anyway, than than racing does in the day. So tick, tick, tick on all that. And if you add water, it's um, even more spectacular. We're not driving the cars. And there was um, obviously the red flag and it didn't get restarted. And you had the classic case of the drivers who were holding trophies were saying, um, yeah, no, they shouldn't have restarted <laughs> yeah. that. That was uh, that was too <laughs> dangerous. There was rivers and all, there was crocodiles or whatever they were saying. And uh, <laughs> the drivers that uh, wanted to gain some spots thought it was fine to, to play on. So, yeah, it was unfortunate they ended under a red flag. But, um, gee, it's, it is an exciting show. It looked cool. It looked really cool. I loved it. And it, there was some interesting reaction after it because, like you say, the guys at the front, yeah, it was all the rivers and this and that. But most of the things they were talking about weren't actually nighttime specific problems. They were just wet weather mm. problems, you know. And there was a couple of the drivers, Chaz Mostert, I mean, he got more experience in the spray than anyone going from the very back of the grid to the front of it. He was saying that the spray was easier to deal with than it normally is, you know, in the daytime because you kind of you had this contrast of dark and then light and you could see the lines and stuff. So, um yeah, look, what do you think? Should the race have been restarted? It's it's hard to call it from the cheap seats, right? Like, it's easy to have an opinion, but is it an educated one? Definitely not as educated as the people that made the call. So I certainly don't uh, criticise what they did. Personally, I was just glad that they didn't drag it out, Belgian Grand Prix style. Like, they mm-hmm. made a decision and that was that and we could all get on with yeah. our lives. So, uh, yeah, what did you think? Oh, I'm always up for just racing in pretty much any weather conditions. Like, they're professionals. They should be able to do it. But I would also say that, yeah, we should thank our lucky stars we don't cover F1. You know, the, the sport is a little more robust than Formula 1 when it comes to when it comes to wet weather, and we actually got um, some sort of racing. Let's. There was a bit of interesting officiating across the Sunday. Let's have a chat about Chas Mostert's penalty, the penalty that put him to the back of the grid. Uh, he was pinged for his bodywork being too wide, so the guards were actually – too wide. I've, I've I've touched up some contacts deep in the cable tire world who have suggested that uh, there were some tires that hold those guards in that broke, and that's why the guards kind of flared out. So it wasn't like it was illegal bodywork. The bodywork was just too wide. Now the team argued that it, that was due to him hitting a curb. Uh, I guess like bodywork is often left out of shape when guys are running into each other and stuff. So I kind of asked supercars, how does this normally work when bodywork wouldn't necessarily fit to the the, the vehicle specification after damage, the the answer was that if there'd been damage to the bodywork, there probably would have been some more leniency or a better chance of some leniency. But there, there but there there wasn't any damage to the bodywork. Uh, the stewards report references that setup may have contributed to me. That suggests something to do with the wet tire because that's it's one or two mil taller in the tread than the slick, and it's actually a bit squarer on its edge. It's sort of broader. It's like you and me, Steph, and we sort of weigh the same, but I'm just a bit broader in the in the shoulders, you know, so we just we look a little bit different. That's 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 how I think of it. But so yeah, so it actually looks. It actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy to leave you hanging on that one. <laughs> Good on you. Um, so it actually looks wider than the slick, but it actually isn't. It's just a slightly different uh, shape. And the Holden team seem to love trying to get the front of that ZB as low as they possibly can as well. So maybe something was wearing somewhere. I don't know, Stefan, penalty too harsh, do you think, send, send someone to the back of the grid or do you have to just play these things as the rules say? Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at the facts, I mean, the the guards ended up uh, further out than they should have been 
um, which is going to be a performance disadvantage, right? Like you don't want to pump those guards out into the airstream. But yeah. the, the key here is that the recommended minimum penalty for a tech breach is a DSQ. It's disqualification. It's it's black and white. It has to be as objective as that. And the only way out of that is to argue exceptional circumstances, with, which, as you explained with the curb strike, that was what they argued. And in a race, for sure, if you have run up the back of somebody and your guards are all pointing in different directions, they're not even going to put the, the measuring stick on it, right? That's just, no. that's racing. But yeah. in a qualifying session, when you've not made contact with another car or a fence, is striking a curb an exceptional circumstance? Is it a totally freak thing to happen? Probably not. And yeah, the fact that, you know, where you're running your front ride high, all of that stuff set up as Adrian Burgess, the head of motorsport, um, had submitted to the stewards, set up, would have contributed. And as you mentioned right at the start, the teams have slightly different ways of affixing those those front guards with cable ties or whatever. So that may have contributed too with the way it's then popped out due to that supposed curb strike. So, yeah, it, it feels harsh, right? The pub test says that's, geez, yeah. that's, that's harsh, but... I think they had to do it. And personally, whenever a car fails tech and gets away with it, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. No, no, I uh, I do agree. Uh, the Shane Van Gisberg and Anton Di Pasquale restart thing in the third race was quite uh, interesting. There was a lot of talk about the fact that, um, you know, uh, to, just to explain, uh, Shane was actually past Anton before the control line uh, on the restart. He was handed a penalty. Uh, that penalty was then rescinded because he argued over the radio. When race control can hear that they scan the radios, he said, hey, he slowed down. Um, race control took a gander at the data. They could see that Anton had backed off to, 45% throttle for just over a second and they went yep that's fair enough so they rescinded the penalty now there was a lot of talk about the fact and even on the TV coverage saying this absolutely never happens well the exact same thing happened in Darwin this year so that's not actually true at all because Will Brown got a penalty there that was rescinded before he served it and then it was actually reversed and given to James Courtney for backing off before the line Um from what I understand, uh, no one at Motorsport Australia wanted to go on the record about this because it is kind of a it was a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a sensitive one, I guess. But from what I can tell, it was actually Anton that was at the greatest risk of getting a penalty because he backed off. You're not allowed to do that. Once you go, mm. you have to keep going. Uh, and I think that the weather really played into there being some leniency for him there. Um, because you kind of can't, it's hard to argue with someone, hey, you should have been full throttle when they can say, well, there was a puddle there and I might have been hanging out of the wall if I hadn't have backed off. So I think it kind of strayed into a bit of nobody predominantly at fault sort of thing, and that's why there was absolutely no penalty for anybody in the end. Stefan, was that a fair enough call, do you think? Yeah, I think um, I think it was in the end. I mean, like I look at this and the restart rules in supercars are too complicated, right? Like you need to be a lawyer to understand them and a mind yeah. reader to then apply them. And in this case, we don't know what Anton was thinking. It, it did look suspicious that the, the lift off the throttle happened just before the control line. So it just meant Shane was ahead, which- So you're you calling say, gamesmanship. You're no, calling. I, I'm not because I don't know what he was thinking. And I agree that in the wet, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, the fact that Shane speared off then in turn one, probably unrelated, but- meant the optics you couldn't really penalize Anton so 
yeah, I mean, if that if that point of view gives me seat 1A on the naivety plane, then fine, I'll, I'll sit there. But I, I think the other two things with it is that the, the issue for me was that race control have the ability to ask supercars for this data instantly. And clearly from what happened on the weekend, they get it very quickly. And so they gave the penalty without requesting the data in the first place, which yeah. sure, like the umpire has to blow the whistle during the game. Understand that, don't want to be too critical. But in hindsight, clearly that was a mistake. The thing that was handled well, actually, I feel, was Shane's response on the radio. Because he didn't he didn't start blowing up and bagging the stewards mm. or whatever. He was very clear. And I think his response was just no, Anton lifted. And it was so clear that Triple Eight didn't even need to go and report that because, as you say, no. race control heard it themselves and went, hmm, maybe we should ask for some evidence here from supercars. So, yeah, it was a, it was a clunky way of going about it. And it certainly, it probably played into the narrative of the uh, small but vocal part of the fan base that calls it the 888 supercars. Because yeah. to see someone get a penalty <laughs> yeah. and get it stripped back is unusual, but I think it ended up in the right place at the end. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I kind of want to think it was gamesmanship from from Anton because that's just that's just fun. And if it had been Scotty Mac or even if it was Giz, if it was the other way around, you'd be thinking, yeah, I reckon this bloke knew exactly what was going on here. But yeah, I'm sort of I, I'm very much on the fence uh, about that as well. We'll just quickly run through the rest of the supercars news out there. We now have a full Bathurst 1000 field with uh, Kurt Kostecki joining Jake. No great shock there. Now, what we don't know at this point, and this may this may date this recording. We should know something by the end of this week. But what's going to happen with that with that Erebus uh, wildcard with uh, Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway? It's still unclear whether they're going to be able to get. Not into Australia, that's fine, but get back to New Zealand. So there was a lot of talk early this week that the whole thing was dead in the water. Seems to still be kicking just, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that doesn't go ahead based on some of the issues they've had with that. Uh, quick bit of Super 2 news, Cameron Hill going to join Triple uh, Eight. Is that a is that a good pickup, Stefan, for them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely good for Cameron Hill. Like um, he's an exciting talent that's come through the ranks, winning in everything he's done. Carts, former Ford, Toyota 86, and now Career Cup. Um, it's a big step for him. Like um, he's always done his stuff in his family team, and he's going into the premier race team in the country. Um, I think, like clearly, he wants to be a professional racing car driver, and he's realised that you can win every Porsche race going around, but you don't really get the attention of the main game teams unless you're in Super Two. So they've committed to going that way. Um, Looks like Triple Eight might have two new Super Two drivers next year. It's good they've committed to two cars. I'm interested to see who they put in the other one. Rattle through a few other things. Uh, Bathurst Six Hour looks like it's going to be a capacity grid at 70 cars there, so that'll be the biggest field ever at Bathurst. They're going to have to turn some entries away. Stefan, did you get your entry in time for the Bathurst Six Hour? Are you going to be racing there? I feel like my entry probably wouldn't be accepted, even if it was the only one. So with a uh, capacity grid, probably didn't stand much chance. But I do like the economics of the uh, the old entries there. I mean, at seventy cars and six thousand bucks an entry, like your uh, your events starting on a pretty healthy plane. Uh, we have some S five thousand race formats for the Tasman series coming up at Sydney and Bathurst. I'll sort of try and summarise it. It's kind of qualify for race one and then. 
top 75% of quality for race two, is reverse for race two, and then there's a points-based grid for race three. I don't know. Do they overcomplicate it a bit sometimes, these S5000 blokes, Stefan? I feel like the beauty of S5000 is its simplicity. Open-wheel cars, big V8 engines, done. Everything beyond that is probably probably lost me a little bit. But then again, I still can't believe they're racing at Bathurst. So uh, I'll be watching either way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a top uh, – actually, yeah, and reversing some grid, why not? Might just make it a whole lot more fun. Uh, Formula One, a handy little win for Max Verstappen in uh, in Mexico there. It's starting to feel like it – it might just be his year after all. They, uh, they've they sort of grabbed a bit of form, those Red Bull blokes. Um, there was some interesting qualifying antics in the Red Bull world, though. The uh, the junior team and the senior team kind of coming together. For those that didn't see it, uh, uh, Sonoda was trying to give Pierre Gasly a toe in qualifying, and then there was a bit of a miscalculation from the pit wall, and he sort of got in the way of uh, of Sergio Perez and Max uh, Verstappen. Here's how it played out on uh, Sonoda's radio. Perez behind you. And Verstappen three behind. No, I mean, I, 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 I let him pass really. Yeah, okay. I didn't do anything though. Okay. And box, box, Yuki box. Stop FIA bridge, stop FIA bridge. I couldn't do anything though. Uh. Understand, you gave him space and. Uh, couldn't do anything more. Understood. P1, wait for the message and P0. Uh, Stefan, uh, Christian Horner and Max were both immediately critical of, of Alpha Tauri and Sonoda on their radio. It kind of transpired that he didn't do much wrong. It was just, and neither did his engineer. It was kind of half a miscalculation, but, you know, as much as that, it was Perez getting distracted by by the dust when Yuki ran wide to give him space and he kind of just binned it. Um, Christian Horner said later his comments were exploited by social media as the story sort of blew up. You, know, you and I have talked about this sort of stuff plenty of times in the past. Like, can it be exploited when it's something you said just being repeated? Like, should there be a bit more ownership of comments here instead of just saying, oh, well, the wild west of the internet got hold of it and blew it out of proportion? Yeah, it did feel like a bit of a cop-out. He just needed to admit that they were wrong on their initial impressions of what happened and more information came to light. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a big deal either way. He, he was trying to walk those comments back a little bit and he ended up creating a bigger storm by blaming social media because we do all know it's it, it is the wild west but soon as, as soon as someone high profile bags social media we all go oh how dare you so yeah yeah it just it just beat it up even more oh, i did find it interesting that um yeah christian used that term synoded um in his yep. uh in his press uh, briefing there it, it whenever that comes out in a in a briefing like that it does make me wonder like is that the internal lingo they use at, at red bull um, yeah, it just didn't feel like that's necessarily the first time that's been said, but anyway. Uh, NASCAR and what a finish to the season. Uh, Kyle Larson made up, uh, looked like a pretty rapid pit stop late in the race there, kind of helped him get in front for the race and, and win the title. Like, Stefan, this boy's career was hanging by a thread, what, like a year ago? Like, is this the ultimate story of, of redemption? Well, yeah, obviously the, the story was that he'd um, used a racial slur on, uh, I think it was his Twitch account when he didn't think it mm-hmm. was it was live and, and he'd lost his ride then with Chip Ganassi um, after that and then 
pretty much missed all last year, I believe, and then came back this year with, with Hendricks. And he was the dominant driver, like he was absolutely the deserving champion. Um, and there's been some really strong praise for him from the likes of Dale Earnhardt Jr., um, Tony Stewart, all those guys. Like they're in awe of what he's done. Um, yeah, the redemption storyline, though, is a tricky one because it's so easy to like roll it out. And as much as like society loves tearing people down, it also just loves that redemption story. But yeah, I mean, this is probably getting a little deep, but winning car races probably doesn't have anything to do with what actually happened. So I, my view would be that only the people around him would know if he's truly evolved from what was uh, abhorrent comment, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. But in, yeah. in the eyes of the public, I mean, there's no stronger redemptive force than sport, right? And winning. Like, sport is the ultimate church of forgiveness, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. And obviously, yeah, winning car races doesn't doesn't make you a good person necessarily. Not saying he's a bad person, but you would hope there's been some personal growth that has come from the whole experience and that that is – also driving, yeah, this idea that, you know, he's he's redeemed himself. Um, let's just finish off with a bit of MotoGP. Mark Marquez out for the season finale in Valencia, uh, and he's going to miss the first 2020 preseason test at Jerez as well uh, due to concussion. He had an off-road crash and he's got some vision problems. He had a similar thing back in 2011, I think it was, when he was in uh, Moto2. Um like he's a good bloke at riding riding motorbikes, but he loves an injury, doesn't he? Yeah, it's 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 been um, I guess from the viewer's perspective, it's been it's been sad to see him struggle with his injuries because he's such a amazing champion, like six time world champion, like incredible what he's done and his ability on the bike. Um, but yeah, this is a scary one, I think, um, and it's sort of we don't have a lot of that concussion sort of conversation in, in motorsport compared to all these ball sports. Um, but this, this not only has that, but he's, he's re-injured this, this nerve that, as you say, um, caused him to have a bit of surgery there in, in 2011. And we didn't really know whether it was going to affect his career. And then obviously he's kicked on famously since then, but yeah, it's a, it's a very unfortunate thing and, and you hate to see someone going through that. Yeah, it is. I guess that the whole concussion thing is potentially, I don't know, the, the, like just concussion hasn't often been a big issue in motorsport because it's a dangerous sport and uh, head injuries tend to have a more serious and even more, uh, sorry, an even more serious outcome. Uh, but as safety evolves, then maybe these things do become issues and they start to become bigger problems, particularly on two-wheeled sport where you're that much more vulnerable. Um, so yeah, it is, it's probably a discussion for another day, but it is, it is quite interesting. Um, yeah. Castrol star of the week, Stefan, who you got, mate? Uh, I think like to, to bounce, uh, straight off that with some more motorcycle talk, like Remy Gardner, he took a great win there in Moto2 on the weekend in Portugal, uh, Portugal, sorry. He, um, yeah, beat his teammate, Raul Fernandez in a straight fight and he's now on the verge of that Moto2 title. Um, he only has to finish 13th now in Valencia in the final to uh, to get it done. He'd had an incident in practice there on the weekend and was clearly in pain after the race, and it was just a phenomenal ride. So it's exciting for for Australian viewers to to see Remy, obviously son of 
world champion, Wayne Gardner, on his way up. He's already got a seat in MotoGP for next year. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed he can just seal the deal in Moto2 and, and step up as a champion. Yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Luke Gilden. I think he deserves a star of the week. He did a uh, he did a very good job. Uh, difficult circumstances to come in, difficult conditions, and uh, he kind of uh, he stepped up to the plate. So I think that was fairly impressive. You know, we talk a lot about how competitive supercars is. There's not many bad cars in the field anymore. Um, we've seen those. We've seen even the, even the Kelly Grove team. You look back to Darwin this year, even Sydney in dry conditions. You know, it's easy to just end up flat out at the back even when you're a good driver. So uh, to be able to go even beyond the midfield at times, I think, you know, conditions aside, was still uh, fairly impressive. Let's uh, let's just quickly talk tips for this weekend in Sydney, Stefan. Oh, we're back to all softs all the time. Who's going to – I think Anton's going to be pretty hard to beat. Surely they're going to have a trouble-free weekend at some point, those DJR blokes. Uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, tips are always a dangerous game, and you've got to say that, yeah, it, Anton's going to be hard to beat, and if anyone beats him, it's probably going to be Shane. But um, let's let's go with an Erebus win. Let's uh, let's hope they crack one. All right. Yeah. Well, tips are tips are is a dangerous game. If you just look at my sports bet account, I can assure you <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> the case. Anyway, that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. And please subscribe and comment or do both or whatever, just to ensure that, you know, we feel good about ourselves at the, the very least and uh, and that you don't miss an episode out there. We'll be back next week with more of the Castrol Motorsport News podcast. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about from Sydney. Thank you very much, Stefan. And, uh, yeah, let's chat next week. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.